2: Multi-speed Technologies, the Ask Noah Show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's one 450 6624 or send an email to live at asknoashow.com. My name is Noah Chalaya. I hey, am your host. Delighted to be here with you this hour as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off. SSL and unsecured sites are going to be or ssl rather than unsecured sites rather are going to be the standard and are going to be required starting chrome 68 now that came out today Uh, google is only going to be supporting these ssl sites now when i say supporting i don't mean that you won't be able to visit a unsecured site that's not what i'm saying but beginning in july 2018 with the release of chrome 68 chrome will mark all http sites as not secure now developers have been transitioning their sites to HTTPS, making the web safer for everyone. Progress last year was incredible, and it's continued since then. I'm getting this from security.googleblog.com with the headline "A secure web is here to stay." We'll have that link for you in the show notes. Now they go on to cite some statistics: over 68% of all Chrome traffic on both Android and Windows is now protected. Over 78% of Chrome traffic on Chrome OS and Mac OS is protected, and 81 of the top 100 sites on the web. Use HTTPS by default. They write that Chrome is dedicated to making an easy, it as easy as possible to set up HTTPS. Mixed content audits are now available to help developers migrate their sites to the HTTPS in the latest Node CLI version of Lighthouse, an automated tool for improving web pages. The new audit in Lighthouse helps developers find resources. Uh, Will help find resources a site loads using HTTP, and which of those are ready to be upgraded to HTTPS, simply changing the subsource reference to the HTTPS version. Now, my question to you is, is there a reason to still keep around HTTP? Is there a reason to use that? I'd be interested in knowing. Give me a call, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 855-450-6624. Is there a reason to keep HTTP around and not migrate to HTTPS? The reason I ask is because, quite frankly, I am not seeing a reason to keep HTTP around. I can do my best guess, and, and, I, and, I, and I, it takes some work to get there, but I don't really understand why we would want to keep HTTP around at this point. HTTPS is so simple to set up. It's so quick to set up. There was a time a couple of years ago five ten years ago where when you had HTTP uh, to set up HTTPS it required an act of Congress basically you had to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars you had to reconfigure a website and and do all these crazy things and then because certain programs or certain functions of the web server weren't designed to work around HTTPS that it, it still didn't work properly and presented a problem for your customers or your clients or your website visitors JJ4884 in the chat room says, Well, what about for internal networking? Well, you know, again, here's the thing. I can understand cutting down, uh, actually purchasing signed certificates that are signed by a CA for things that are on the, on the inside network, right? But the reality is, when it comes to even things like my router, even things like, uh, you know, my broadcast appliances, all these things have web interfaces and I have to log into them. But at the end of the day, what advantage is there exactly in not having the traffic encrypted from one end to the other? And I'm, you know, I was talking just before the show got over, our lead in Linux Unplugged, I was talking with uh, Chris about it. And he was saying, uh, you know, the, the problem with having this discussion, even, the problem with even opening this can of worms is you get all of these people that get up on their high horse and they want to preach about it. And they want to say. Oh well, I'm from where I'm standing. There's no reason why you wouldn't wanna, why you wouldn't wanna use HTTPS. And, and I'm not trying to preach it anyone. I'm not trying to get anyone's face and say you're an idiot if you're not using encrypted traffic. That your, you know, your your traffic is going to be manipulated. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying in, in this day and age, it is so stupid simple to set up HTTPS. And by the way, if you don't know how to set up HTTPS, if that's something that is 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 unfamiliar to you, if you if that confuses you or you're concerned about it. We did a how-to video. The Ask Noah show put together a step-by-step how-to video where we, we walked you through step-by-step how to set up an HTTPS server. And I think we did a pretty darn good job. We explain HTTPS. We explain the advantages of HTTPS. We explain how it works. And then we show you how to set up a Let's Encrypt certificate. Now, if you're not familiar with Let's Encrypt, Let's Encrypt is a free certificate authority that is trusted by all major browsers, Safari, Firefox, Chrome, Opera, all of them, Uh, Much like a, a traditional CA would be, but in Let's Encrypt's case, they don't charge you for that certificate. So you can have as many certificates as you want. The only downside to Let's Encrypt is that you must renew the certificate every 30 days. And there's a lot of people that they look up and they say, well, I don't have time to renew it every 30 days. Well, no problem. Our video is going to show you step by step how you can renew that certificate and integrate that and automate it. Mark calls. Hey, Mark, welcome to the Ask Noah show.
0: Hi, no. Uh, I just had a question about setting up. I want to set up uh, either a uh, client-to-client open v- open VPN connection or a uh, SSH multi multi-hop uh, tunnel. I have a a server that I'm not using, so which one would you recommend more?
2: Okay, so walk me through your scenario a little bit. You have a server, and you want to VPN into that server?
0: Yeah, um, I'm just kind of playing around with it just because I'm not using it. I want to be more familiar with the the technology. Yeah,
2: Um, sure, that's a great way to play around with stuff. That's a great reason to play around with stuff. So, but, so, so, so again, I just I need to I need to, we need to dig in. I need to I need a little bit more information before I can give you a recommendation, though, Mark. So you have a server you want to VPN into it. It's just for fun. It's not you know any business thing. But what are you VPNing from? Is it from just your laptop? And you're you want a VPN into the server? Because I, I'll 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 tell you where I'm going with this, Mark. Uh, you don't typically VPN into a server per se you VPN into a secured network so that you can utilize those network resources now you may vp now you very well may VPN into a network where the only network resources is a single server that's something that you could do something you can do something a lot of people do do um but 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 is there anything else on the network that you want to access other than that one particular server
0: um let me give a better. Uh, I want to remotely connect into the server from um, somewhere that's not my house and connect into the server and then from the server then uh, connect to the MovaEd server and mm. I, I use Mova at okay so is that possible uh,
2: uh well um. Well, everything's possible. Uh, well, I shouldn't say everything's possible, but for the most part, when it comes to VPNs and, and how you can interconnect things, everything's possible. Um, but I guess I'm still I, I, I still I guess I'm not entirely following you. So you want a VPN into this server? You want a VPN connection into the server, and then from the server, you want to use that to access other network resources?
0: Um. Yeah. I I kind of just want to obfuscate the um, and tunnel the the network um, as many times as I can kind of just to obfuscate and make it more difficult to analyze traffic but Mm. sort of uh, wireguard, yes kind of like that but uh I want to try it with SSH and open VPN before I go to
2: something that complex okay Um, I guess that's fair okay so uh, uh, so here's the thing I, I don't from a from a security standpoint, there's no real reason not to uh, to use WireGuard because it's designed to do what you're trying to do from a right. and, and it's open source. So there's there's no reason to use it that way. As far as it gets when it comes to complexity stuff, if you want the simplest way to establish a VPN connection, kind of what you're trying to do, there is a way to there is a way to tunnel traffic over SSH. And uh, it's sometimes referred to as the poor man's SSH mark, and we use it a lot anytime you don't have a, or I'm sorry, it's referred to as the poor man's VPN, excuse me. And we use it all the time when you have a business that doesn't have a, a, a proper VPN infrastructure set up, and we need to get access to the inside of their network. Oftentimes, what we will do is tunnel our, our through over SSH our network traffic, and then we'll use that SSH tunnel to then facilitate the same kinds of things that we would do over vpn what do i mean but those kinds of things so let's say for example we're having a discussion in the chat room right now there we're talking about internal network appliances and maybe we don't need https on those internal network appliances like printers and fax machines and stuff like that well if we didn't have https on those appliances we wanted to access them from the outside one secure enough way to do that would be to establish a vpn tunnel forward Tunnel port 80 over that SSH encrypted tunnel and then we can connect to those devices from outside of the firewall Uh, And that's something that we can do and that would be very very simple It's literally an SSH command and I can put that command for you in the show notes and that that's you can do it You don't doesn't require any special setup done. You have to do anything special You just execute that SSH command you tell it what port you want to for on, on the remote side on the local side What you want to forward to and you connect and that's it? Okay, um
0: I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna post a. Uh, have you heard of uh, what's it called? Uh, Darknet VPS. Mm-hmm. Um, a Really interesting specification. Uh, I'll, I'll post it in the Telegram room for you to look over. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: You're talking about darknet.org, right? And
0: if you, uh, no, it was a uh, a server specification where they they took the obviously a Linux server and they installed squid, and I think like 15 instances of Tor, and they took a, um, proxy chains, and they kind of, what am I looking for here, fragmented out the connection of the Tor connection. Okay. I'll send you the specification. It's hard to describe, but that's kind of more so what I'm trying to go for. I guess I don't really... I'm not really sure what I'm going for. I'm just sure. trying to create something really interesting.
2: I guess. I mean, here's the other thing too, and I, I want to make sure I'm absolutely abundantly clear about this, Mark. Please do not uh, think, oh, well, there's uh, what I'm doing isn't important enough, or I don't have a reason to be doing this, so I shouldn't do it. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. Every so, I can. I guess I can't say that definitively, but very close to—I'm very close to saying that every solution we have ever put into production at one time was a project that I had thought had no real place in—in in my basement. That's where a lot of stuff starts. Uh, we did a huge digital signage project a couple of months ago. And that project started on a Raspberry Pi in my basement, and I was playing with it. And I had no reason to have digital signage in my house. I just wanted to play with it because I thought it was a cool project. It ended up making me thousands and thousands of dollars uh, because we sold it as a solution then. Um, but there's, there's always a good reason to play with stuff. I love playing with stuff. I solve problems. In, I, I was, I, 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 well, I'll get to this later in the hour, but I was, uh, I was at another facility today, and, um, and I was playing with stuff. And I, there's, Nobody asked me to solve problems. Nobody asked me to look into how things work I just like to know because that's the kind of person I am. I like playing with stuff. I like figuring stuff out Jeremy calls from Florida. Hey, Jeremy, welcome to the Ask Noah show Whoa, I got a question for you, yeah? okay. Go for it. Uh, I've
0: got a question about uh point of sale systems for bars. I'm setting up a point of sale system for our local VFW, and they're looking for basically two terminals at the bar, and
2: one back at the office to kind of keep track of things, like uh, kind of a, uh, the way they do their accounting. Okay, is all, it, is all it's doing is selling, all, all you're doing is, is is selling items, you're just, you, you know, like they're marking an item for sale, and, and keeping track of inventory, is that, is that that simple, or are they wanting to scale past that?
0: I don't think it's going to scale much past that. It's a small local BFW. I think really it'll, all it'll really be is two terminals and then a computer in the back to read you know the receipts at the end of the night. Um, it, you know, I like it to be a little more geared toward bars because they're more of a bar than anything else. So they keep track of tabs, things like that.
1: And I wasn't sure if there was an open source solution that would
0: uh, um, cover that.
2: I'm not aware of an open source solution. And I have to be honest with you, Jeremy. I'm going to go ahead and put you back on hold because the you've got a ton of background noise. Um, But the the solution that we go with and I I have put this in in bars. I put this in bars I put this in small diners. I put this in uh, in even uh, obviously small retail shops Um, We actually for a for a very short time Used it here at AltaSpeed, but it didn't offer some of the integration features that uh, that we needed So we we moved on to it and actually Jupiter Broadcasting uses this uh, for all of their live events and it is a square Um and uh, and Square has is is they have inventory management. You can uh, use Android or iOS tablets. You can access it from a web UI and uh, and and configure it that way. All of those things work, and it doesn't cost. It there's no uh, monthly cost. There's no recurring monthly cost. And for anybody that's in the POS world, for anybody that's in the credit card um any in the in the credit card world, you have to understand that the uh that. The cost, the ongoing monthly cost, used to be a big deal Uh, years ago. When we first started Alta Speed, little backstory: we were looking for a credit card processor and uh, contacted a number of different um, uh, vendors, I guess as it were, and uh, said, "You know, this is what we're trying to do." And they said, "Okay, for forty-five dollars a month, we'll uh, we'll sell you a five-hundred-dollar credit card reader, and then you can process credit cards at two point five percent or something like that." And uh, the problem I had in the very early days of AltaSpeed was I wanted to accept credit cards. You basically had to still have to. That's even more true today. But I, want, I knew I wanted to accept credit cards. It was essential for our business model. But uh, there was no way I was spending 45 bucks a month because I had no guarantee I was going to even make $45 the next month. I mean, you know, money was super tight. That was, I had 200 bucks to start with. That was a quarter of my, my entire startup budget on one month of credit card processing. No way I'm doing that. And uh, and so I searched around, searched around, searched around until I found it wasn't a square, but it was a square competitor, um, and uh, and started processing credit cards on them. And uh, we actually, I, just even today we still run a certain amount of our business through them, uh, just because just out of loyalty, just because they helped us when nobody else would. The the issue is they got bought out by a a larger not so great company, and uh, now they have some not so great policies. But uh, if I was to do, if I was in your boat, if I woke up in your shoes. I would absolutely go with Square. And that's uh, like I said, that's we even use it here for for smaller things. If we're out on the field or we have to take a payment from somebody. Um, and we're, the, the, the only issue with Square that you run into, and that's why I asked how much if it's going to go past uh, basic inventory management. We have a rather complicated inventory situation, right, because we have inventory that's in the shop here. We have inventory that we own but is is getting shipped that hasn't arrived yet because it's it's on order, as it were. We have inventory that we own that drop ships that goes to various clients. For instance, I don't want 300 access points sitting in my shop, but I need to know that if tomorrow a hotel calls us and says, yeah, we're a hotel in you know Bumsville, South Dakota, and we want you to install access points, I need to know that I can get 300 access points to them tomorrow or the next day or whatever, right? And so we have uh, what we call dropship, but we own that inventory. We have to track that. Uh, and then of course we have inventory that we've sold and there, ha- there has to be a system to track all of that and keep track of all of that. And so the the issue with Square is it doesn't do anywhere near that level of inventory management and uh, doesn't have the ability to interface into our accounting software and our ticket software and all of that. And so um, that gets to be a problem. Uh, the uh, chat room Velitas says, another angle saying HTTP and HTTPS with errors Are not secure implies that people can relax with other websites when they might actually be very untrustworthy with their data and the other end false sense of security now that's an interesting take on this I like that I like that a lot and I'll tell you why in the video in the how-to video that we put together one of the things we talk about is domain level verification what is domain level verification so simple a uh, simple example that we gave in the video: We bought the domain Dell. Casa. D E L L. C A S A. And the idea behind doing that was to prove if Jupiter Broadcasting owns jupiterbroadcasting.com, for example, but I could buy Jupiter Broadcasting maybe. net or. Dot org or I don't know which top level domain is available. But if I bought one of those domains. There is no verification process that I have to prove I work for Jupiter Broadcasting before I can buy any one of those top-level domains. And yet, when you set up a Let's Encrypt certificate, or a number of different CAs that you can buy, you know, Verisign and all those other companies, there's plenty of them that you can buy. That is a top-level domain. You can buy a, a, just a basic SSL certificate, and you can you can generate it and you can I- install it. It doesn't check for anything other than that there that the DNS record matches the server that it's pointing to it. So it receives request, a request request from, in our case, Dell.Casa. And the server that we have set up, we have in fact registered an SSL certificate with Dell.Casa. And so what it does is says, okay, this is the same server that you meant to connect to. And then, of course, there's a cryptographical signature that verifies every single time you connect to that site. So every time you get a visitor that connects to a site, the the certificate authority is... Proving to the client that yes, in fact, it's the same computer that you've connected to last time. It knows that that is the same certificate over and over, and so on and so forth. What the what the what the do, what the domain level verification does not do is it, it does not check to see if you actually work for that organization, if you are legally allowed to represent that organization. And so we took Dell.com. And we moved Dell.com to a server that we run, that we hosted on DigitalOcean, pointed Dell.Casa to it, registered a valid HTTPS certificate, so the user gets the little green padlock showing that they're on a secure site. And, in fact, all of the content that was on Dell.com, we changed. We obliterated it. We put all sorts of crazy, funny things that, like, Dell hates Windows, and Dell is now shipping exclusively Linux laptops. And funny little side story— all of those links on that website actually worked, and if you clicked on the order link just the way that their cart system was set up, it would take you back to Dell.com and add that laptop to your cart, which I thought was pretty funny. But, um, but all of that was, a, was an elaborate way to exemplify that, th- that domain-level verification doesn't verify that you actually work for the site. So what Veritas in the chat room is pointing out is he's absolutely right. He's 100% correct about this. If you have a user out there that goes to the, one of these new sites... That has an HTTPS certificate and so now they get the little green padlock and it says the connection is secure and they go to put and it says enter your credit card here and they put their mouse cursor in that little text box and they get the little pop up that says your information is secure. Well, it kind of implies that that's a safe place to put your credit card when in fact I could just set up a web server register a let's encrypt cert and uh, ask for people's credit card numbers and take that money and go spend it on uh, all sorts of nefarious things. right? And um and so there, there, there is no, and, and so he's absolutely right. There is no verification that the site that you're connecting to is trustworthy. The only guarantee is that the data that flows from your computer to their server is encrypted and thus cannot be compromised, reasonably compromised, I guess I should say, by an attacker. So I think that's I, I, that. that's a very good point. That's a take I didn't originally think about this. Uh, Veritas says, uh, I I thought of an, I thought of another angle. It's, it's easy for Google to say HTTP is not secure, but to startups, this is harmful and HTTPS is now cheap to cert, but still requires more traffic, more difficulties to scale and can hurt small and upcoming businesses. I'm, I'd be interested to hear what you're basing that off of. I have run uh, HTTPS certs on uh, I've run uh, servers that have SSL on them and uh, those servers have 500 megs of RAM and a, a, you know a 10 gig hard drive you know it's it's on a, it's on a it's on a throwaway VM I mean any any much any lower and I don't think the VM would physically run a modern operating system so I I disagree with the I disagree with the standpoint I agree with your standpoint that it 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 falsely gives security to some users. I disagree with the standpoint that it is uh, that it's harmful to startups. I don't think it is at all. And I think that there is a misnomer out there. I think there's a misconception that it's difficult to set HTtps up. I also think that there's a misconception out there that it's expensive to set HTtps up, both of which are untrue, both of which we have exemplified in our uh, in our how-to video which we'll have linked in the show again the phone number lines are open 1-855 no it's 855-450-6624 you can email the show live at show.com. veritas responds he says honestly i have no idea what the what the change in requirements for https was mostly playing devil's advocate there just trying to think of points of contention i'm very pro https myself yeah and most of us are most of us are pro https and even those of us who don't swear by it uh and i'll you know i'll go on the record right now and just tell you ask not https altaspeed.com not https why we don't there's no secure information that transitions either of those two websites there's a demo card processor thing on altaspeed.com that we were setting up to test for our new site uh it's not actually connected to anything yet but uh and, and our new site will absolutely have https but uh you know I and and it's not that I'm uh, not too stupid. I mean, I made the how to video, right? If anybody knows how to set up HTTPS, it's this guy right here. But there is a time overhead, and a and there there's a time overhead, and there's also everything that I do. There has to be a reason to do it. So if I was setting up a server from scratch today, yeah, I'd probably throw HTTPS on it. Interestingly enough, I can't put HTTPS on asknoahshow.com because the registrar, uh, which it is registered with. Gives us the free gives us the hosting for it for free, and so they don't. Uh, and so there's no way for me to use Let's Encrypt. I'd actually have to purchase a certificate from them because I have I don't have access to generate my own certificate and put it on there and schedule the renewal and all that stuff. Uh, so there might be a reason, um, but that's a pretty esoteric use case. Speaking of esoteric use cases, DJ DC in the chat room says, "What about computing? How does your 486 handle modern HTTPS?" Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say that there aren't a lot of four eighty sixes that are out there that we're worried about at this point. Again, uh phone lines one eight five one eight fifty five four fifty. Noah that's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at ass I want to get to an email that uh that was sent in here. This is Lewis writes in to live at ass You can too. He says, Noah, I bought a Surface Pro 1 following your lead a couple of years ago. I've got it up and running with Ubuntu Mate. I'm mostly happy with the results, but I'm getting to the point where I want to experience the machine that isn't hindered by it being dual booted in Matei. I'm still doing dual booting with Windows 10 for some days when I just need to get some work done. This is my daily driver away from the office. Have you found a way on yours to auto display the on-screen keyboard when the keyboard is disconnected? When I'm booting into Windows 10, I pulled the surface away from its keyboard and when you select a text field, it automatically fills the screen with an on-screen keyboard. I'd like to ach- achieve the same seamless workflow. I'm currently using the outboard on-screen keyboard, but would be willing to switch if necessary. Let me know what you think and keep up the great work on your show. I love it, Lewis. Thanks, Louis, for the email. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, so for those of you who don't know, I do have a Surface Pro uh, first-generation. I really like the Surface Pro first-generation. You have to understand something. When Microsoft made this piece of hardware, it's a really fantastic piece of hardware, and it does a lot of things very, very well. So first of all, they didn't underspec the thing, which is my biggest concern. Okay, They, they spec this thing at, with an i5 and an I, l- latest, uh, latest gen i5 or and latest gen i7. They gave it a 1080p display. And uh, it's a really sharp uh, 1080p IPS display. It's a really sharp looking machine. And uh, as I got to using it, I found that just basically right out of the box, just about everything works under Linux. Now, there were a couple of things that didn't. First of all, I can't get it to suspend properly, which would be really nice because in the tablet form version thing, it would be great to just tap that button and have the computer go to sleep and then be able to wake it up at will couldn't get that to work second thing i couldn't get to work is a bluetooth paired mouse so at the moment anytime i want to power it up i have to use the touchpad uh i should say that the bluetooth mouse it's the one that specifically came with it that's not the that's the one that doesn't work i'm sure a standard generic bluetooth wireless mouse would work just fine but i have to use the trackpad and i also have to uh shut the machine down every time i'm not using it and so those are the two shortcomings now as far as the on-screen keyboard Yes, the on-screen keyboard pops up when you put your field in a text uh, field. But I have only gotten that to work on Ubuntu with Unity. I have not gotten it to work on Ubuntu Mate, I've not gotten it to work on KDE, and I've not gotten it to work on Gnome. And so that's a problem because as we're all aware, Canonical has kindly discontinued Unity. The good news is there are more and more people that are trying to that are trying to uh, tackle some of the issues on the surface. And not just the Surface first generation, but the Surface 2, the Surface 3, the Surface 4. All of those are getting a lot of attention. And I'm happy to see that they are, because I think they're actually really fantastic machines, even if they are made by Microsoft. And uh, for the most part, they run Linux pretty well. I was actually ta- speaking with a gentleman, I think, over Linux Fest Northwest. Uh, he's an electrician out in California that uh that came to do some uh, some electrical work for chris and uh, and then consequently came to linux fest northwest and i was chatting with him he has a surface Pro four and he was able to successfully get linux working on it and uh, that's what he's using on his is his daily driver so yeah no very much stick with it give unity a shot just to see that it works and uh, you know one thing you could do you could in theory anyway install What was the last version with unity i think it's 1704 they made the switch 1710 you could install well, i wouldn't want to do that though you want the five year you could install 1604 you'd still have uh let's see here: 16 17 18 19 20. you'd have like three four years to and all you got to figure out is a touch screen keyboard or the uh dynamically popping up on-screen keyboard in the next five years i think or whatever we're down to three years or whatever that's possible so i might check that out again open phones this hour 1-855-450-NOAH, that's 855-450-6624, the email, live at asknoahshow.com. Forbes.com, headline, Ditching Windows. Two weeks with Ubuntu on Linux on the Dell XPS 13. For many years, my fear of Linux outweighed my grievances with Windows. In the early 2000s, I experimented with distributions like Seuss, Red Hat, Debian, because I was, en- I was enthralled with seeing the other side of the desktop PC environment. I wanted to tinker. I wanted to become an expert on Googling driver solutions, and I learned basic terminal commands out of necessity. But now I'm older and I have less patience and I just want my system to work out of the box. I went through the same paces, downloading a USB stick, booting up the live version of Ubuntu 18.04, which includes five years of security patches and updates. And I had a look around. I clicked the install button and Ubuntu prompted me with several options for partitioning my internal SSD, including blasting the entire driveway. Tempting. I was feeling lucky, so I decided to take the plunge. My surprise began with the speed of Ubuntu's installation. It took literally four minutes from the time I started till the time I finished, including the selection of my region, a username, password, and Wi-Fi to download the updates. Four minutes in, that's an extreme installation setup. Within four minutes, I was ready to log in and get to work. Beyond that, there were no additional drivers needed. Ubuntu properly detected all of my XPS 13 hardware, including Wi-Fi adapter and the gorgeous 4K touchscreen, Function keys, touchpad, webcam. Yep. On my first visit to my GNOME based desktop environment, I even noticed that the font scaling was set to 200% to compensate for the display's high resolution. And there was a nightlight option for reducing blue light in darker environments. Awesome. Were this Windows, my next stop would have been installing a good web browser. Firefox was already there in the favorite stock, so syncing my bookmarks, passwords was as easy as logging in. Next, there was LibreOffice. It was there too, and while not quite as slick as the Microsoft Office, it has the benefit of being quite functional and the best of all, free. Now I'd need to install things like VLC, Spotify, Telegram, Slack, meaning multiple websites. And downloading packages and then installing them while stepping through the various license agreements and setup options for each piece of software. And what he leaves out, but I will include, is you would have to not necessarily just visit their website, but then you'd have to navigate uh, the devs and the rpms and, and all that stuff. And if I had a dime, I would say we. we there are two calls I can count on to come into Alta Speed every single week, and they have since basically the day we opened our doors. The first one, by far the most common one, is I turned on my computer and it says no system disk or disk error. What do I do? And the answer is unplug the USB drive from somewhere in the computer and restart. And then they say, well, I don't have a USB drive. And you say, yes, you do just look around. And then they, they argue with a little bit and then eventually they find the USB drive. And then like probably once every two years or three years, you actually find somebody with a dead hard drive, but 99.999% of the time, that's the answer to that question. And it comes in. I can absolutely count on it coming in once a week. The second question that comes in, and I would Yes, this is probably once every two weeks, maybe, meh, but it, for certain every month, is I'm trying to download X. Do I want the 32-bit version or the 64-bit version, and do I want the DEB or the RPM or the tar. dot And uh, we have to answer that question. And I, I can count on those two questions coming in absolutely every month. And with the uh, non-system disk or disk air, that question comes in once a week and has for... 10 years and i have no i have no no expectations that it will stop so this article goes on to continue meaning multiple website visits download various packages installing them while stepping through the various license agreements and setup options for each piece of software except the ubuntu snap store included the free software center were only were the only destinations that i'd need the breadth of software that you can install with a single click is outstanding at least for me Discord, Spotify, Skype, VLC, Telegram, OBS, Slack, GIMP, Audacity, and various ebook readers, and tons more to explore. I have to say, the only enormous selection of software here can be daunting. Due to more than 80 separate audio and video players that actually exist, apparently that they do, and I can't stress what a relief and time saver it was just to click and install and be done with it. I'd also like to stress emphatically that this is simply one guy's experience, but it's been an overwhelmingly positive one. I'm not trying to sell you on Ubuntu, so I haven't wasted precious paragraphs towing the canonical PR line or listing the technical features. View it more as an informational journey. I, as a tech journalist, know that writing about Linux doesn't exactly bring in the clicks. But that said, the journey has been so refreshing, I felt compelled to cover it. Now, this is a guy who is writing uh, in Forbes, right? He's a tech journalist, but he's writing in Forbes. Looked him up on Twitter, added him on Facebook, and uh, he's a fairly successful uh, 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 journalist, tech journalist. And uh, and I reached out to him and I said, would you come on the program and talk about this? This is an amazing experience. This is what I tell my listeners about every single week. I come down these stairs, sit down in this chair, turn this microphone on, and talk to you guys about the advantages of using Linux and open source software. It's more secure. It's more stable. It's more cost effective. It provides you with a better quality of service. The, the software works better. All of those things. And here is somebody who, without my help, somehow figured this out. Shocking, I know. So, uh, so I reached out to him. I said, "You know, would you be willing to come to, to come on the show?" And he said, "Yeah, I, you know, I think that would be interesting." And so we're gonna we're gonna keep in contact. We're gonna see um, we're gonna see if we can get him on the show. And 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 I want to pick his brain about uh, about his his perceived impression of Linux, what Linux was going to be, and then what actually happened, what his experience was once he actually got it installed, because it was it was literally night and day. And I bring this story to you on this program to illustrate a couple of things. One, the desktop market has completely shifted in the last five years so much it should make your head spin, it does mine. I want to go back to this article. I want to look at the list of software that he's talking about. Listen to these. Listen to this list of software. Tell me what you notice about these pieces of software. Discord, Spotify, Skype, VLC, Telegram, OBS, Slack, GIMP, and Audacity. Now, the list of software that he's getting if you if you read this article carefully, if you if you if you read through it, there's a couple of pieces of software like LibreOffice, which he specifically says I would prefer to be using Microsoft Office because I think they got a l- little more of a refreshed, refined product. But LibreOffice does the job good enough. And then he goes on to talk about all this other software that he just had to install because that's the software that he uses. Now, that's interesting to me. And I think it illustrates I think I think it it, it highlights and exemplifies something that I have suspected for a long time. but this story brings it out perfectly. And that is two things. One, Microsoft is moving to a cloud-based service. If you look at Microsoft's marketing campaign and PR stuff, it's 365, 365, 365, 365. They want people on services. Why? Because that's where Microsoft makes money. If you look at what, Microsoft reps are telling clients when they sit down and say well, what should I go with they say well You could buy traditional office, but if you do it'll be out of date in the next year And then Susie won't be able to open Frank's documents and Frank won't be able to open Billy's documents That's the game they try and play so they say just pay your 99 bucks a year and uh, And and then and then you have access to to, to the software for life That's what they want to do. That's their business model. That's the direction they want to go and guess what guys Office 365 works fantastic on Linux. I use it all the time. I don't have my own subscription, but we have clients that use it, and it works just great on Linux. But then he goes to talk about this other software that he absolutely has to have. Discord, Spotify, Skype, VLC, Telegram, OBS, Slack, Gimp, and Audacity. Okay? Listen to, these, listen to those pieces of software, and what is it that those apps have in common? What do you notice here? Discord, Electron, Spotify, Electron, Skype, Electron, Slack, Electron. Are you noticing a pattern here? Every one of those apps are not only available in the Snap Store, but they are all written in Electron. And this is a day, I, the, the, like the third episode we ever did of the Ask Noah show, the fourth episode, we had Martin Wimpers, the lead developer for the Ubuntu Mate project, and one of the people on the uh, on the, um desktop side at canonical and uh, we asked him we said what's the biggest piece of technology that's coming out what's the biggest piece of technology that is going to shape uh the, the the linux world specifically but the software world and he said electron because these people can write these apps one time and you can run it on a mac and you can run it on a linux and you can run it on a windows and it doesn't matter they only have one code base to target and you can run that sucker on anything and so when you combine stuff like that, when you combine Electron apps with the Snap store, and by the way, it, from what I'm told, not a Snap developer myself, but I know a lot of them, it is, it is very, very simple. It's like a single command to take a Electron app and turn it into a Snap. When you combine that, when you do that, you are now taking the experience that people have come to expect from the tablets and phones. And you're bringing it to a desktop. And when I say the desktop, I'm not talking about macOS and I'm not talking about Windows. I'm talking about GNU/Linux. slash Now, snaps do—they are working on getting snaps to work across Windows and and, um, and macOS. And I think when I think as those things come to fruition, I think. I think then snaps are only going to become more relevant. But as it stands right now, you have people that have that have a preconceived notion that Linux is a difficult, complicated operating system to use that is technically challenging. And you watch them sit down and open up on this XPS 13, which is a which is which is a competitor to the MacBook. And I I would argue a better, better, a physically better machine, better made machine, better supported machine and more flexible machine. And then a traditional MacBook. but you but you look at the at these people that don't have any that have a preconceived notion against Linux. And as they walk into it, they go, man, this is not the Linux I remember from ten years ago, And I'd go as far as to say that wouldn't be the Linux experience you would have had even five years ago because you still would have been struggling for apps five years ago. Again, the phone lines are open one eight fifty five it's 855-450-6624. the email live at dot Emacs romance says, for snaps, they don't work without System D, and that's true. But uh, again, it's th- there are there's always going to be somebody out there somewhere that has that one script or that one program or that one reason or that one thing that they don't that doesn't work with System D, and so they're against it. But let me tell you something: that the System D ship is so far sailed that I I, I don't want to get into it. When you have when you have commercial servers, enterprise grade servers that you're responsible for and people pay you thousands and thousands of dollars to keep up and running, and that server goes down, you have to restart that thing. And that and that restart time goes from thirty to forty five seconds to well, actually minutes. There were times where you'd have minutes as various pieces initialized and came up, especially if it was connected to network attached storage and all that. I mean you, you went boot time went from minutes to seconds. To seconds. And it makes all the difference in the world, never mind the fact that we now have a way more consistent workflow as far as troubleshooting errors, where, where to look for things, how to start and stop things. Uh, all of that stuff is, is, is all tied together for a, a more seamless experience. Do I think that maybe it was rushed a little bit because, the, you know, there was a large company that exerted a lot of pressure to get it production ready before maybe it was absolutely 100 percent production ready? Maybe, maybe. But there is no doubt in my mind that system D is 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 a better way to go. And I, I don't even want to have that conversation, to be honest with you. Get open phones one 855 450 NO, it's 855-450-6624. The email live at dot HackerNews.com headline. Microsoft releases PowerShell Core as a Linux snap package. Now, there isn't a lot in this article that I'm gonna that I could read to you. That uh, that that would enlighten you, but I, I we I I left I, I put this article in the show, and and I dovetailed it onto this uh, this XPS experience from this guy, because I think it continues down down a down a narrative that that I think is becoming more and more real every single day, and that is this: Linux is becoming the place where desktop users go, and Mac OS and Windows is becoming the place that desktop users flee. Apple has a large majority of their money tied up in iOS and iOS development and iOS devices. And if you look at every time, every single time in the last 10 years, that, Ma- that, that Apple has made a significant change to a MacBook. It has it, it, There have been significant, significant, significant drawbacks or problems with them. So this latest generation, they just came out with the i9s. And for the first time in probably Apple's ever, history of time, they finally have current generation processors in their MacBook. And guess what? They're all overheating. I went into Best Buy just because I wanted to look at it. I wanted to play with it. And I wanted to kind of get a feel about it. And I kind of knew we were going to talk about some of this stuff on the show. And when I started talking to the, the sales guy, I said, how many, of those, how many of the 2018s have you sold? None of them. Why not? Well, they're all in the back. Why are they all in the back? Well, because uh, we got the uh, last generations out here and after and after like four or five rounds of digging in and questions, he tells me that they've had. There's a lot of complaints and there's a lot of problems and then a lot of people have brought them back and had issues and stuff like that. And so what they've done to incentivize the sale of the older ones is they're they're running a sale on the older generation until Apple can get some of these issues worked out. And. It's not, it doesn't surprise me really because other than revving the genera- other than revving the generation of processor they've not made any substantial upgrades the ram is still soldered in there it's still sixteen gigs as far as I know as at least as far as Best Buy offers they uh, the keyboard hasn't been improved at all so they you know you're still buying an over overpriced piece of junk and uh, and 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 when you when you start looking at that and saying okay Apple just released arguably one of the most advanced phones to ever hit the market, which with the iPhone 10 and not that I'm an iPhone user or ever will be, I can't stand it, but, but th- there's really no denying that iPhone 10 users, or iPhone X, whatever you call it, are very happy with their iPhone 10 X. And meanwhile, you have a lot of other people that are Motorola users, Samsung users, LG users, whatever. And they're not happy with whatever device that they chose and a lot of that is because obviously those some of those are budget devices i'm personally very happy with my pixel but i know a lot of people that aren't that weren't happy with the google pixel talked to a gentleman the other day who said he got a pixel for free got a google pixel for free from google uh was well, sunday and and he took it and played with it for a little bit and eventually ended up giving it up and said yeah i'm just not gonna uh it's just not for me so apple you know the They're seeing tremendous success on the iPhone, on the the iPad, stuff like that. The iPad has become the work tablet to go to. Meanwhile, their computers, the Mac Pro is a joke. There's no professional that uses that trash can. I shouldn't say no professional. There aren't many professionals that are willing to use the trash can with no expandability and no way to to reach out. They they say that they're going to redesign that and it's going to be more modular, but one, who knows if that will actually mean back to PCI form factor where you can put PCI cards in Far more likely, it's going to be Apple modules that you can buy ridiculously over overpriced, uh, you know, market, and you can shove these Apple cards in there, and then you can connect to all the stuff you should have been able to do. And aside from that, you they they, they invested a whole bunch of money into redesigning not the Mac Pro, not the trash can with the expandability thing. That's on the back burner. What's on the front pa- What's on the front burner? A an iMac, an all in one. So and then they refresh the you know when they went to the Touch Bar and stuff, they refreshed those. So there isn't a lot of innovation happening inside of their desktop slash laptop market share. It's all happening in tablets and touchpads. And that doesn't entirely surprise me because that's where Apple stands to make the most money. Meanwhile, you look at Windows. They're claiming that Windows 10 is going to be the last version of Windows. And I have yet to meet a Windows 10. I've actually been collecting screen caps because I was going to put a collage together and tweet it out before this episode didn't get around to it. But uh, every time I go on Facebook now, there is somebody complaining about Windows 10. 7 seems to be, have, have gotten to a place where people can tolerate it. Everybody hates Windows 10. It updates too much. It dangs me too much. In fact, the very article that we referenced in this show, the, reason, the, the very thing that got him started on Linux was the fact that his Windows 10 box, he went to, he was in the middle of something critically important. The machine restarted without talking to him, and when it came back up, it went into update mode and started updating, and he couldn't exit out of the updates. And we've covered story after story after story of, of, of various issues with Windows 10 and various problems with Windows 10. And I see it on a daily basis. We pay other, I, pay, I have to pay other people to troubleshoot some of this stuff because it drives me so nuts to sit in front of a working computer. That is my laptop with KDE Neon on it all day long. Or Actually, I'm sorry. It has Kubuntu now. But it drives me nuts to sit in front of this thing that works so well. And then have to go back and troubleshoot things where you can't even literally, I can't even drag a, uh, an icon off the start menu and uh, onto the desktop to create a shortcut anymore. That's how screwed up Windows 10 is. And so if that's the market that, if that's, where, if that's where we're at, at a computing market share where you have all of these, all of your favorite apps are coming to Linux. And all of those, and, and now you've got things like even PowerShell. So Windows administrators can even get a lot of their work done. PowerShell is incredibly powerful powerful we're going to have a guy on here in just a couple of minutes as soon as i get to him it's going to talk about that PowerShell is incredibly powerful and now you have apple trying to kill off their pc their their, whatever you want to call it computer line because they want to run commercials about little kids going what's a laptop and you have microsoft wanting to go to more survey service oriented a more service oriented business model and discontinue a lot of their uh their investment in infrastructure. We saw Microsoft discontinue the uh, the people that are responsible for pushing the Windows boat forward. Okay, as we watch all of those things happen, I'm left to wonder where are computer users like me going to wind up? Well, I mean, I know where I'm going to wind up. Where are you going to wind up if you're not on Linux? Where are you going? Because I think that's where the football's going. I'm interested to hear what you think. One eight fifty five four fifty Noah eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Chris joins us from West Virginia. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
1: Hey Noah,
2: how you doing? Hey, pretty good. So, uh, Chris, you are—I uh, I, know—they put a gun to your head and tell you that you are going to maintain a certain amount of Windows boxes, or uh, or they're going to fire you. Uh, so you don't have much of a choice in the matter a lot of the time. But y- you have uh, you have a lot of experience doing stuff on Windows and and I know that you and I talked about PowerShell and you said that you know it's it's a recent tool it's come out fairly recently relatively speaking to the age of Windows and so uh, you know you have a lot of ways of of working around PowerShell and you, and obviously one of the advantages of Windows is that it is very graphic. Uh, user intense, uh, uh, GUI heavy, so you're using a lot of graphic uh, graphical interfaces, and that's the way you like to do things. But tell me what your first thoughts about uh, PowerShell coming to Linux when I tell you that now I can, uh, I, I have it installed right here, I can type uh, power uh, What is it? P-S-S-H, something like that? Yeah, here we go, and uh, and I get uh, and I get PowerShell running on my laptop, and now I can execute PowerShell commands.
1: Well, um, uh, my first experience with it today uh, I was pseudo app get install powershell dash dash classic mm-hmm. and I loaded it and I ran it and then I typed exit and <laughs> that was about the extent of it um but like you said i've been doing i've been doing this windows uh, administration stuff now for a whole hog uh, basically me for the last ten years and PowerShell, while I know it is it's it is extremely powerful, you can do any almost anything you can do in the GUI, I know that you can do with PowerShell. And um, I believe it was uh, Server 2012, Microsoft introduced the Server Core, where there is no GUI installed on the server itself. Um, you can still RDP into it, and, and as you well know, RDP is not a, a grabbing a screen capture. It's right. all, you know, just just sending commands, mm-hmm. uh, so the server core does have a GUI if you remote it. Well, to me, that's fine. I, I have become so used to it. It's almost muscle memory for what I need to do in Windows. That I've one or two obscure tasks where I've needed PowerShell. I've I Googled something. It's helped me fix an issue or something, and I've managed to change minor things in a script. Oh, excuse me, in a script. To me, it, it's it's not that big a deal. There might be some Windows administrators out there who do a lot of things with PowerShell. I know it's a very powerful scripting language. <laughs> to me, it, it's it's you know, hey, I'm glad it's now on Linux because my box at work is Linux, and I do all my Windows admin through um rdp right have a virtual what,
2: what does it mean what does it on it what does it mean for us linux users that microsoft is moving they've moved azure to they run azure on linux they want bash on windows they want now powershell on linux and they want to start looking at running these things you know headless windows i mean it is what it is but I, i'm not seeing a lot of people that are going to use that but what does that mean about microsoft's direction they're no longer trying to push windows and they are actively trying to, to push to their stuff use, to Linux and push Linux stuff to, 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 into, into Windows.
1: To use another podcaster's um, uh, metaphor, can I fry some conspiracy bacon?
0: <laughs> yeah, go for it.
1: <laughs> um, I personally, it is my personal opinion that Microsoft has stopped caring about the desktop. Yeah. Windows 10 has had so many changes from one uh, iteration to the next, that it is actually affecting the way Microsoft handles group policies. Let 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 me turn that around. The group policies are changing how it's handled on the desktop. I have seen things like printers stop being able to deploy printers to users through group policy. And the only thing I can pin it on is every time another version of Windows 10 comes out, it seems to me that various group policy things change. Um, in, in our, in our, we used to we used to send in our domain printers based on where students were in the building, and this hallway might want this printer or whatever. And I used to be able to do that based on grade level and assign that to student user group policies. And it, it I would get phone call after phone call. Well, all of a sudden these printers aren't showing up. Well, I have to turn it all around, and I start signing policies via workstation. And then printers start working again. I can't point at anything other than there's been a major update to Windows 10, there's been some updates on the Windows servers, and now these policies that used to work for years have stopped working.
2: Fantastic. Um,
1: You know, back to something you said earlier, uh, Windows 10.
2: It's a mess.
1: I don't know what they're doing when they do an update. Just a standard, you know, Patch Tuesday update. It takes a long time,
2: yeah yeah, it does it it, it it does and it's it, it absolutely blows my mind and I, I really I thank you for coming on the program and kind of chatting about this with us. I think it really i think it I think it really speaks to the direction that Microsoft is going and and I, I, you know we're going to continue to to watch it we'll continue to do hours of meticulous research so that you don't have to and present it here on a one hour radio show for you and, and provide that available for download and you can kind of condense it. Um, but we're going to watch it. I think there's, I think the next year is going to be a really interesting time in the technology space, particularly as it relates to desktop use. I want to give a plug to a, a, a personal, uh, personal venture that I'm going on. I guess you could say, uh, I, uh, I met up with, I, I got a call, um, a couple of weeks ago from a gentleman who works for another radio station. And he said, um, Hey, I've heard you on the radio. And, uh, and I kind of understand. I, I kind of, I-, I-, I like your worldview. I like your take on things. And uh, I was wondering, it- it's very difficult to find in radio, somebody who has, um, who has the, who has a similar light view on things and, and is capable of running their own, audio board and stuff like that. And uh, do you do your show by yourself? I said, yeah, I, you know, I set the whole studio up. So yeah, I can run a board. And he said, would you, uh, would you come fill in for me, uh, on, on this other radio station? And this is a large commercial radio station. So they, I think the, I think the parent company owns like 30, some radio stations uh, all around the country. Uh, don't quote me on that number. I was reading their, They have these plaques up in their lobby. I was reading this today, but, um, anyway, I spent, uh, I've spent all week there, Taken off of to speed, uh, taking some time off of Altus speed, and I'm there. Uh, I've been there all week, and uh, and I'm training in and learning their way of doing things. And uh, these are some really, really, really talented broadcasters. Some people that have worked in this industry for a very long time, and have developed a, a very refined set of skills. and uh, And just being around them and being able to to sit there and watch these interactions, where one guy will come out to a more experienced guy and he'll say, "I'm thinking about going on the air, and I want to talk about this topic." Uh, and how do I bring this up to listeners? How do I present this in a way that would be compelling to them? Or how do I ask this question? How do I elicit response? How do I do this? And and to hear that kind of conversation and be around that kind of professionalism is absolutely outstanding and has been has it, been a blessing to me like I could never begin to to describe. So I'm so thankful for the opportunity. Um, so I'm, I'm going to finish up training uh, at the end of this week. And then next week, my buddy Brad Schmidt is going to be out of, uh, is not going to be doing his show Monday and Tuesday. So Monday and Tuesday from 2 to 5 p.m. I'm going to be filling in for, for my friend Brad Schmidt over at KNOX uh, on 1310 AM, 1079 FM. And uh, they, they stream online, knoxradio.com. And, and, and I talked to the program director and he said, uh, you know, feel free to pimp it on social media. Feel free to talk to people about it. And I said, here's the thing. My audience, The Ask Noah Show, if I ask them to do something, they will do it. If I tell them I'm going to be live Monday and Tuesday from 2 to 5 p.m., uh, if you guys have questions, you want to join me for that discussion, you guys know where I stand politically, so if that's not for you, by all means, feel free to uh, to, to, to just ignore it. But uh, but if you do like that kind of discussion or you do want to engage, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, if you want to have a discussion, I want to have that discussion. And so I invite you to join me Monday from 2 to 5 p.m. Central, Tuesday from 2 to 5 Central. I will tweet out the time. We'll have a link for the streaming in the show notes. But yeah, it's uh, knoxradio.com. And uh, and and, and it, it's, it, it really, it's fantastic. They have a, uh, they have, I think they said it was a $2.5 million uh, broadcast facility that they bought all, uh, all digital IP, uh, which is actually what we have here at the Ask Noah show. We have the exact same technology. We just have it at a much, 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 much smaller scale. Um, but uh, being over there and, and, and getting to play with some of that stuff and, and play with some of that technology. And, and like I said, really the The advantage for me is being able to work with people that do this all day. and uh, And they were kind enough to just say, "Hey, here you go." they They show me where the buttons are on the board. And uh, I think by the third hour I was there today, I had a mic on. I was sitting in front of the board and uh, and 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 got to drive the show uh, for the last hour. And so, you know, they've been very kind to me, and they've been very welcoming of me, and uh, and I hope to be able to give back and uh, and show up there and do a and do a uh, do Brad's show justice. I don't think I'd be able to fill his shoes, but uh, at least be able to fill some airtime until he gets back. So, that's uh, Monday at two to five p.m. Central. Tuesday. 2 to 5 p.m. central there won't be anything technology please don't call that station and start asking me technical questions because i don't think their audience will appreciate it but if you want to talk about public policy if you want to talk about politics if you want to talk about life in general um those kinds of things are pretty cool and i would definitely welcome those calls and uh and we'll take them and uh, and we'll have fun with it and uh, i'd like to give them the uh, i'd like the ask Noah show to make an appearance i think that'd be pretty cool Ask Noah Show audience. And did you guys know this episode is available as a downloadable podcast? That's right. To subscribe to the feed or download the latest episode, visit podcast.asknoahshow.com. There you'll find not only the latest episodes but all of the articles and materials referenced in this episode. You can get the latest, of course, by following us on Twitter at Ask Noah Show. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Vox TeleSystems for providing our phone systems. Better produced producer, Sarah i Carl Skirner. This hour, of the show may be over, but there's plenty more content for you 24/7 at asknoahshow.com.